Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. So before the episode begins, I would just like to say a huge thank you to CastBox for helping me make the CastBox original, Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, and you can find all of your favorite podcasts there. Personally, I think CastBox is the best podcasting platform out there, and I hope you guys check it out because I think you'll be surprised at just how much variety they have and how user-friendly their app is. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening, and without further ado, let's begin. I'm a cop and I keep getting called to the same house by Barkles 52, part 1. I'm a local rookie cop in a a small town in Pennsylvania, currently stuck working night shift. I work the normal patrol shift, uh, driving around, pulling traffic, responding to your normal domestic disputes and whatever other wonderful calls dispatch sends my way. But ever since this past weekend... Every single night, I kept getting called to this same house. At first, I thought it was my co-workers just playing pranks on the rookie. I mean, I have two years on the job, but in such a small town, I work with most guys my dad's age. I've omitted certain names and addresses for obvious reasons, but here's what happened. So Friday night around 0200 hours, actually Saturday morning really, a dispatch gets over the radio. Dispatch to 1034? Uh, 1034, go ahead. Hey, uh, we just got a 911 hang-up from a a landline that's coming back to Patch Lane, I think. Can you go and check it out? Uh, 104 on route. So, I immediately start driving to the address, which was about six miles away, I think, but it's a pretty rural area, so I get there in less than ten minutes. I turn right onto the gravel lane, and... After about 7 seconds, I see the house up ahead on the right, no lights on inside. I park my cruiser on the gravel lane, lights off, so as not to announce myself in case there is an actual emergency going on inside. We're trained not to just roll up to a house, lights on in case the subject decides to ambush the officers arriving with gunfire or something. Anyway, I quietly approach the old farmhouse and check the perimeter. There's no signs of anything. No lights, no sound, not even a park arced anywhere. I begin to think that maybe dispatch got the address wrong. Uh, 10.34 to dispatch. Dispatch, go ahead. 
Hey, uh, I'm Apache Lane, and can you confirm that this is the actual address? Uh, yeah, stand by. At 10.34, yeah, that's the correct address. Uh, do you need backup? Uh, negative. Uh, it appears nobody's home, but I'll update, okay? At this point, I knock on the front door and announce myself. Uh, hello? My name's Officer Barkley. I'm from the police department. There's no answer, and all the windows were closed, so I gently try the front door, and it's locked. 10.30 to dispatch. A dispatch, go ahead. It looks like the house is abandoned. I think the 911 hang-up might have just been some crosswires or something. Uh, clear me no report. 10.4. At this point, it's about 0230 hours, and... Man, do I need a cup of coffee since I have another three and a half hours left on my shift? I head over to the local 24-hour gas station and find two of my ever-so-busy co-workers standing there fueling up on caffeine as well. They grin and ask if I had fun responding to the old doc's house. Clearly. I must have had a dumb look on my face showing the confusion I was feeling because then he goes, You don't know, do ya? He continues. That old farmhouse over there, it belonged to Dr. Wentz. He was the guy that I'm sure you've heard about, who used to do the botched abortions and all sorts of inhumane procedures back in the 1800s. He's the guy all the rich went to when they had young daughters getting knocked up or when they had a special needs child that they didn't want to keep. He actually built that house himself and even named the road Patch Lane as a joke to all of the patching that he did for people. I finished my coffee, laughing about the old tale the guys were trying to pull on me. I wasn't going to let these guys spook me, especially being that I was one of the only females on the department and I have to have skin twice as thick. So, I finish up my shift, get some Z's and back in I go on Saturday morning. Around the same time, maybe a little later, around 02.30 hours, I get the call. A dispatch to 10.34? 10.34, go ahead. Uh, we got another 911 hang-up from the same number as last night. This time, they actually stayed on the line and we could hear someone talking but couldn't make it out. Can you go check it out again? Uh, can you confirm the address again? Yeah, sure. It comes back to Patch Lane again. Now... I'm pretty sure the guys are getting dispatching on some type of joke, but whatever. I still have to respond, and better safe than sorry, I guess. So, I drive down the road, turn onto the gravel road, and park my cruiser away from the house and check the perimeter and go up to the front door again. Still no sign of life inside, and I knock on the door and announce myself. Officer Barkley, with the police department. I'm about to leave and I go to check the door handle out of pure habit and sure as shit, the door opens. I was so startled by the fact that the door opened that my right hand immediately went to my gun on my right side. I announced myself again. Uh, hello? My name's Officer Barkley. I'm from the police department. Uh, come to the front door or I'm going to have to enter, okay? Before entering a house for... Officer safety reasons, we always get on the radio. Uh, 1034 to dispatch. Dispatch, go ahead. Uh, no one appears to be home, but the front door was unlocked. I'm going to make entry and 
Just check the house, okay? It appears to be abandoned, though, so... Do we have any backup available? Ah, uh, 1034. All units are still on that fatal DUI accident. Do you need one to break or something? Negative. I'll advise. I figured that I didn't need backup breaking from a potential homicide scene for this abandoned house search. I make entry, gun drawn, and I proceed through the first floor, dodging cobwebs and stepping over dead insects and critters. I continue upstairs, through the bedrooms and closets, everywhere a person could be I checked. I work my way back downstairs and check the basement. It's a pretty small basement, but it's broken in several tiny rooms. One room has a metal door with a padlock on it too. The padlock needs a key to open it and it's completely rusted shut, covered in cobwebs and even one big old black spider was guarding that lock, having made its home. Clearly, this lock had been here for years, maybe even decades. I didn't worry too much about it though since there was no way anyone was in there due to how rusted this old lock was. Even the keyhole looked corroded and filled with rust and dirt. I eventually just left and advised dispatch no report again. And so, I grab a cup of hot coffee around uh, 0400 hours and catch up with one of the guys from the DUI crash and ask him what the mess of the scene looked like. He told me that I'm lucky I wasn't on that scene. He asked me about the Patch Lane house too and I told him it was pretty fucking creepy but I checked it out and it has to be crossed wire somewhere or something. I felt comfortable telling him that it was creepy since I knew this guy from when my dad was still on the force and he treats me like a daughter. He said that he used to get drop calls all the time there back in the 90s but there was actually a family living there back then. Each time that he got dispatched they were surprised to see him and they let him search the whole house and there were never any problems. Just a a single mum with her two kids minding their own business, really. I asked him what happened to that family, and he said nothing suspicious. They just moved away after about ten months or so. Definitely less than a year, and a few families moved in and out, just renting the house. But ever since about the late 90s, nobody's moved in. I asked him if he remembered there being a locked room in the basement. Honestly, just not really knowing what I was expecting as a response. And... His eyebrows raised and he said, Uh, you know what? I actually didn't remember until you just asked now. Yeah, wow. Yeah, the only reason I remember it is because the nice girl that lived there with her kids didn't have a key and couldn't get into the room and was asking me if I knew a local locksmith, but I told her that I didn't really know anyone since anytime the cops need in somewhere, we just kind of smashed the lock open. She giggled at that and I remember she was actually really attractive, and she was a good-looking girl. So, we both just shrugged it off, finding it odd, but moved on with our shift into the early hours with another DUI stop and a domestic violence call from a guy whose wife drank too much and decided it was a good time to confront him for cheating on her for three years. Anyway, so fast forward to Sunday night. I'm back at work, and this time the call comes out right at 0300 hours. Dispatch to 1034. Uh, 1034, go ahead. Hey, uh, we have another 911 hang-up from the Patch Lane. Are you able to go? Since I was in the middle of eating my lunch, I decided to not even go. Uh, yeah, Dispatch. I cleared that house last night and 
I didn't even see a landline telephone in the house. Stand by. At 10.34 to Sergeant Oakley. Uh, this is Oakley, go ahead. Hey, Sarge, did you hear this call? Do you need me to go or can we clear it? At 10.34, just drive by. No need to go in if you don't see anything, but at least drive by, okay? <sighs> Received. Show me on route. I was pissed since I didn't get to finish eating, but I did my job and drove down the gravel road again. This time, the front door was wide open though, and I know for a fact that I shut it closed the night before. At this point, I begin to think a homeless person is inside, which is still trespass, so I call out to dispatch that I have an open door and I'm going to go check it out. I make entry and... This time I see someone run around the corner. My gun is drawn since I have no idea what to expect here and I announce myself and run after them. When I turn the corner, it's just the kitchen and the door to the basement. There's no way out. So, I run into the basement and there's nobody fucking down here. Nobody. I get on my radio and ask for backup, but I don't get any response. So, I make my way back up and still nothing on the radio. I finish clearing the house and still can't find the person. And I make my way out to the cruiser and use the cruiser radio and am out of breath at this point. Ah, uh, 10.34 to dispatch? Go ahead. Did, did you hear any of my calls for backup? Uh, negative. 10.34, do you need a unit? Ah, uh, no, 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 no. You can disregard I just had one subject on the premise, but they're gone. I'm heading back to the station, okay? So, of course, everyone asks me about what happened, and all I can say is that they must have ran out when they saw me. I didn't tell anyone that the direction they ran left them absolutely no way of running outside, mind you. I begin to wonder if I'm going crazy, or maybe I've just had too many shifts on or something. I'm off on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. A rookie, remember? So at this point, I have one more night before I can rest. A Monday night shift left me speechless, though. At roll call, everyone jokes about when am I planning to go back to Patch Lane, and I tell them that they can get the call, and I'm done with it. Oh, 0300 hours comes around. A dispatch to 1045. A 1045 is my good friend who's been to the house in the 90s. Uh, this is 1045, go. Uh, we got a 911 hang up for Patch Lane again. Sarge gave the okay to just drive by and make sure no one's there. 1045, okay, show me on route. Not even 30 seconds go by and my cell phone beeps that I have a text. It says, hey, want to meet me there? Bastard. Of course I'm not going to say no, so yeah, I go. Uh, 10.34 to dispatch. You can add me to 10.45's call. 10.4. So we show up at the same time and this time the front door is wide open again. Awesome, I thought. We both clear the first floor and then the top floor and make our way into the basement together and there's nothing. Then we turn the corner and... I see there's no lock on the metal door anymore. We look at each other and he said, Hey, I thought you said that this was locked. 
I say, uh, it was. So, he slowly opens the door and we're hit in the face with the most horrid smell. A smell that I know well. The smell of death. We find the corpse of a young female, bloated and fresh. The body naturally bloats about two or four days after death and traps gases, and that's where the odor comes from. We call for backup, obviously, and the medical examiners show up on the scene. They process the scene and begin to take the body away. I ask them how long the body had been there, and they were experts, not me. And The ME guy said between three or four days, based on the rigor mortis and liver mortis and a few other medical terms that I probably can't even spell. I said that there was just no way that that was possible because... I was there a day ago, and there's no way that that was freshly locked. I mean, the lock was corroded, rusted, covered in cobwebs. Nobody touched it in years. They said, Officer Barkley, that isn't our job to explain. We're just telling you that this body has been laying in that exact position, in that room, for between three to four days. Tomorrow will be my first night back, and... Honestly, I'm not sure what to expect. G'day mates. So, I just wanted to take a quick break before the second half of the story to thank all of you guys for listening to Be Scared. If you're a new listener, welcome to The Hive. And if you're a long-time fan, thanks for checking out the podcast. If you could please take a moment to do me a favour to rate and review the show, that would be a huge help. And if you have any stories that you would like to submit for future episodes, you can send them to my email at bish.buster at gmail.com. That's B-I-S-H dot B-U-S-T-A at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and without further ado, here's the rest of the story. I woke up this morning to a blaring ringing coming from my nightstand. I smacked my alarm clock, but it uh, didn't stop the noise. I finally realized with half an eye open that it's actually my phone ringing. I answer. Uh, hello? Barkley, wake the hell up. Chief wants to see you now. Uh, Sergeant Oakley is not the voice that I wanted to hear at 0800 hours this morning. I rolled my ass out of bed and began to get ready to head into the station since I knew it was never a good sign when good old Chief Fox wants you in his office ASAP. Around 0900 hours, I walked into the station in uniform and headed towards Chief Fox's office. I knocked on his door and poked my head around the corner when the chief said, Barkley, come in and shut the door. I shut the door and took a seat. Well, Barkley, you shouldn't be surprised why you're here. You got dispatched to the same fucking house four nights in a row and discover a dead body on the fourth night? <laughs> and this body had been there for at least two of the previous nights? You really fucked up, Barkley, this time. Now, I have some paperwork out of the ass that you need to answer some questions. What the hell? How is he turning this thing on me? I did my job. I followed protocol. I followed my training, and I cleared the house as I was taught. Uh, okay chief, uh, what questions do you have? Well, walk me through the first night. 
Did you check the windows, the doors? Yeah, I checked the windows which were all secured and the front door was locked. There were no other doors except the front door and it's just a really old small farmhouse. Alright, what about the second night? Windows and doors? Chief, I checked the windows and as my report said, the second night the door was unlocked. I followed protocol and made entry. And tell me about why you didn't check the room in the basement. Well, according to Maryland Bureau, I conducted a person sweep of the home to check for any persons on the premises since the property appeared abandoned. I looked in all areas that a person could potentially hide and when I got to that room, I saw the lock was rusted, corroded and covered in cobwebs. But there was no way anyone could have hidden in that room and locked themselves inside. I wasn't searching for a crime or illegal substances or anything. I was only legally allowed to search for persons in that residence. I know the fucking law, Barkley. Thanks. Did you try the lock? Well, no. I could see that it wouldn't have opened, though. Did you think to try to call one of your mail officers to try and open the lock? Chief, the reason why I didn't try to open it wasn't because I thought I was too weak. I didn't try to open it because I could tell that it had not been touched in decades. Well, thanks to your expertise in locks and corrosion, this entire case is fucked up thanks to you. Listen, from now on, I'm going to be keeping a close eye on you. Chief, I followed all of our departmental procedures and stayed within the law. If you feel that I handled these calls improperly or something, then provide me with the additional training and procedures that would guide me to know how I should have handled it. Nobody likes a smart-ass Barkley. Just go start your shift, okay? You have a lot of follow-ups to do now for this case and can't be doing that shit at night. What an asshole. I knew from the day the city council hired me that he hated me. Yeah, as I said... It's a small town, so the chief tends to do what city council tells him to do. Lucky for me, city council was eager to hire another female officer, but I don't think Fox was on board with their idea. I'm used to the sexism in these small towns, but I tolerate it since my fellow patrol officers for the most part don't share the chief's criticisms. I decided to follow up at the medical examiner's office to see what information they had from the autopsy and the crime scene since we didn't seem to have a copy of their report at our station. I called the chief medical examiner too. Hey, uh, it's Officer Barkley from the Patch Lane case. Did you guys finish up the autopsy report? Uh, yeah, actually we did. Ah, oh, okay. I just didn't see a copy here at the station. Can you send it over? Uh... I'm pretty busy right now, and plus, that's my assistant's job. Alright, well, how about I just swing by and pick it up then? Well, you can do whatever your little heart desires. The chief medical examiner wasn't exactly eager to help, but I grabbed my cruiser keys and headed on over to the lab. The assistant was a young girl, looked fresh out of college, and greeted me with a smile. Ah, uh, hello officer, how can I help you? I asked her for a copy of the ME's report from Patch Lane and she proceeded to enter some letters into a computer, then hit print. She handed me a, a three-page document and so I asked, Aren't there more pages than this? She responded, Uh, no, that's it. I found this very odd considering that most medical autopsy reports for a homicide case are well over 20 or 30 pages at least. I took a seat though to look over the report and 
I guess my confusion and anger showed up on my face since the receptionist asked if there was a problem. As I reviewed the autopsy report, I saw that for the hair colour, which was clearly long and blonde, they listed brunette, and for the eye colour, they listed undetermined. I wish this was the end of the shit show, but the entire report seemed to be either wrong or just incomplete. The manner of death was listed as homicide, but the cause of death was listed as undetermined. What the hell? Isn't that their job to determine the cause of death? Well, I marched over to the chief medical examiner's office and knocked twice before walking in. Uh, chief, is this just a skeleton report on the Patch Lane incident? I held up the three-page document in my hands to show him. A skeleton report is just a, a basic report cops fill out prior to the end of the shift and then the next day with fresh eyes they'll fill in the gaps. However, with the homicide case and being that this was now over 48 hours later, I didn't understand why they would only have a skeleton report. Nope, that's the finished report, sweetheart. I hate when old creepy men call me sweetheart. Well, why is there no cause of death listed? Because, thanks to you, the body sat locked in a room for three days and left us barely any evidence to work with. Why the hell is everyone blaming me for this? Well, then can you explain why the hair colour was wrong? And about half of these items are listed as undetermined. Well, if you think you can do any better, go right ahead. Be my guest. I asked to go and see the body and wanted to make sure that I wasn't just making shit up in my own head. Shockingly... He actually agreed and took me over to the freezer. Again, it's a small town so the morgue only had about five bodies in the freezer and I found out Jane Doe from Patch Lane and zipped open the bag. I immediately noticed her blonde hair and I knew that I wasn't crazy. I grabbed some latex gloves and began to go through her pockets to look for identification since clearly the ME's office decided that it was undetermined if she had items in her pockets. I found a receipt from a gas station for 10 gallons of gas priced at $1.12 per gallon. I actually felt jealous of this dead woman, wondering where she found to get gas that cheap. Then, I looked up at the top of the receipt and saw that the date stamp of the 20th of the 10th, 1998 though. Why the hell would she keep a receipt that old? I flipped the receipt over and saw that there was some type of writing like in pencil on it, but I couldn't make it out. I put the receipt in a baggie and I decided that I was going to send it out to the PA state lab for further testing to see if they could decipher what was written. But the more I looked at her too, I also noticed that she was wearing bleached jeans with a multicolored sweatshirt, like what my mum used to dress me in when I was younger. I left the freezer soon after since I could barely feel my own fingers now and I asked the chief medical examiner if he had copies of their attempts to identify the body, i.e. dental moldings, fingerprints, DNA tests, etc. He handed over me a stack of some papers and said, good luck. I asked, hey, why are there only six fingerprints? Why didn't you do all ten like normal? He responded, well... Why didn't you check the lock on the door while you were there three days ago? I don't tell you how to do your job, so why the hell are you going to try and tell me how to do mine? Asshole. I decided I was just going to redo her fingerprints since the ones he handed me looked shitty and weren't even complete. He's usually more thorough than this and 
I have no idea why it feels like I'm the only one trying to solve this case anymore. I fingerprinted all ten of our Jane Doe's fingers and ran them through my mobile AFIS. It's uh, an automated fingerprint identification system. And I was pleasantly surprised to see that I actually got a hit. So I clicked see more and my screen read, Michelle Klein, date of birth, the 5th of the 7th, 1972. Date of death, uh, the 20th of the 10th, 1998. What the hell? I, uh, I woke up Friday evening groggy with a, a pounding headache. I'm beginning to think that the bottle of wine I finished Thursday night wasn't such a great idea after all. That's the thing with cops, though. When we come across horrible scenes that we just can't rationalize or explain, whether it be murdered children, abusive husbands, finding a 20-year dead body, we all turn to alcohol. Me personally... I turned to a, a nice dark Merlot. I just couldn't stop wondering how the hell that body could have died 20 years ago. It was fresh. I could still smell it. It just made absolutely no sense. I grabbed my keys with my left hand as I wedged my right hand fingers between my duty belt and uniform belt to get my last belt keeper snapped in place before just running out the door to make it to roll call on time. While driving to the station, all I could think about was how there was just no way my mobile AFIS was correct. I decided that as soon as roll call ended that I was going to grab a different mobile AFIS from the Batcave, the not-so-creative name that we call the room full of all of our tools and gadgets and weapons, and scan my Jane Doe's fingerprints again. As soon as roll call was over, I ran upstairs and grabbed Jane Doe's fingerprints from the case file. Next, I grabbed one of the newer mobile AFIS devices and scanned Jane Doe's fingerprints. It was running slow, but seemed to be thinking. The screen read, processing three times. Then, after what felt like an eternity, but was probably only three minutes, I got the message. System has timed out. Failed attempt. Weird. This has never happened to me before, so... I decided to try it again, and this time I can actually feel my heart start to thud louder and louder as I waited for the results. Processing. Again, processing, and... No results found. What the hell? Are you fucking kidding me? This is the response that I'm used to seeing when I scan a suspect's fingerprints who have never been arrested before. I didn't tell anyone about my previous Michelle Klein results because it didn't make any sense to me. I must admit, too, that I worried something exactly like this would happen, and that I would look like the crazy one. Before I could jump on one of the computers to start doing some digging, I heard the tone drop. The tone is the loud, high-pitched screaming tone that makes every cop's heart skip a beat. Dispatch to all available units. We just received a call for gunshots fired near the McDonald's. The caller is unsure where the shooting occurred, but heard three gunshots followed by screeching tires and someone yelling. I ran to my cruiser, flipped the switch to turn on my lights and siren, and raced to the scene. We circulated the area for over an hour with no results, and finally, dispatch got back on the air. Dispatch to all units. We just received a call from the hospital that they have a gunshot wound patient and would like an officer to respond. 
Sergeant Oakley was kind enough to offer the rookies assistance. And just like that, I spent the entire rest of my night sitting in the hospital waiting for the victim to come out of surgery so that I could finally question him. I spent all the Friday night thinking about our Jane Doe's case and trying to find answers, but the more I thought about the case, the more questions I had. When I returned to work Saturday, I decided I wanted to return to Batch Lane to try and get some closure to some of my unanswered questions. After everything that happened, I realized it would be best for me to just not go alone, so I texted my friend. Tim, he's badge number 1045 who responded last time with me and asked if he would be willing to head back over to Patch Lane with me under the radar. He agreed and we both advised dispatch to hold us out doing foot patrol around the park. This was an area that we had a lot of problems at night with underage drinking and smoking and whatnot. I rolled my cruiser to a stop and shut off the engine. Tim slowly forced himself out of his cruiser, muttering about his bad back. Barkley, what are we even looking for back here? Anything, Tim. I just don't think the ME's office processed the scene properly based on how they handled the body and all. What? What are you talking about? Shit. I didn't tell him about my little visit to the ME's office. Nothing. Let's just start out and do a full sweep of the perimeter, okay? I wasn't really sure what I was even expecting... There was still police tape across the front door with a, a fire red sticker on the seal of the doorway stamped, Do Not Enter. I leaned down to check the door handle to make sure it was locked and as I reached down, I heard a loud shrill scream come from immediately behind me. I jumped up, turned around and shined my flashlight straight ahead and nobody was there. And then I heard a much softer, quieter squeal come from a ground level somewhere. I redirected my light downward and sitting in front of me was a Halloween black cat. <sighs> Holy shit, cat. What the hell are you screaming at me for? Now that she had my attention, she came up to me and wrapped her body around my leg, purring. I proceeded to check the rest of the windows and work my way to the rear of the house, towards Tim. Haley. Yes, I named her, followed me and began frantically meowing at me the closer I got to the rear of the house. Her screaming got so bad that I had to throw her some crackers from my pocket just to distract her, and thankfully it worked. I noticed a shadow in the upper level window, but I couldn't make out what it was. I began taking steps backwards to get a better look through the upper level window, all while shining my flashlight upward, but... By about my seventh or eighth step back, I felt something hard and sharp whack me in the back of my ankle and brought me to my knees. Tim came running over since this time I was the one doing the yelling and not Haley. He shined his light down to make sure I was okay and thank God there was no blood and I seemed to be fine. I bent over to see what it was that I felt go into my ankle and I felt a, a rusted sharp chunk of metal. It was a, an old root cellar door handle. Root cellars are not that uncommon on these old farms. It was a way for farmers to store their harvest over the long winter months when refrigeration was non-existent. What the hell is that? Tim asked. Uh, it's a, a root cellar door, I told him. We, uh, we need to see what's down there, okay? 
we open the door and I use my ASP baton to wrap all the spiderwebs around it and clear a path for us. Barkley, you're fucking going first, okay? I shined my light down and began going down one step at a time. I went slowly so as to not fall through one of these old wooden stairs. We walked down what could only be described as a tunnel for only about 10 seconds before we reached a, a small set of stairs. There were about four steps up that led to a smaller hatch, almost like an attic door. One that you had to crawl through without a ladder. I reached up and opened the hatch and I popped my head up and shined my light around. There was a, a large rug over the hatch opening. Tim helped me push it out of the way and once we could finally see in the room, I recognized it. It was the room that we found the Jane Doe in. Tim grabbed my arm and convinced me that we needed to leave because this house was still an active crime scene and we just couldn't go waltzing on around inside. But we had finally figured out how the body got in that room in the first place. I knew that I wasn't crazy. There was just no way anyone had touched that lock on the outside. We turned around though and retraced our steps, careful not to disturb anything. Along the way, I tried to look for evidence, but it was just too dark. It was an area that would be better examined during the day, that's for sure. We returned to our cruises and calmed our nerves over a long smoke break, despite the fact that I'm not even a smoker. I got home, passed out and went back into work on Sunday. One thing I love about working weekends is that there's no brass at the station when I go into work. However, this day was different. As soon as I walked into the station, I overheard my co-workers talking about some suits that were up in the chief's office. Sergeant Oakley saw me and immediately snapped his fingers at me. Barkley, get over here. Chief got called in today because of a surprise visit from some suits. He wants you in his office immediately. I headed upstairs to the chief's office, a little surprised that the feds were getting involved in this case. I began to wonder if the FBI got involved because of a, a potential serial killer or something. My thoughts were quickly interrupted by Chief Fox though. Barkley, get your ass in here. Oh, the wonderful sound of his voice. Uh, hello chief, how can I help? Barkley, the marshals got called in to help with this case. U.S. Marshals? They usually go after fugitives. Do they think that a fugitive did this to our Jane Doe? Do they think our Jane Doe is a fugitive or something? My mind is going a hundred miles per hour this minute, and Chief Fox then told me that I had to sit down with them and answer any and all questions that they had. I took a seat and walked them through my past week explaining the 911 hang-ups and finding the body and all. I wasn't planning to give them any details about the fingerprints, Michelle Klein, or the secret door, but they asked me something that sparked my interest. Officer Barkley, uh, are you familiar with the U.S. Marshals Witness Protection Program? G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. 
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.